Hey guys, we're back for another kind of behind the scenes. Me and Jeremy are talking shop behind the shop. <laughs> that makes sense. Car mechanics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's really going on behind the scenes yeah. here? And uh, I'm, I'm working on my new book, Different is Better. So that's coming out in September of 2021. Well, well, after you hear this. I just finished up this one section called Different is Better. And I'm sorry, the book is called Different is Better. The, the section I call it the disadvantage advantage. It's sometimes what our biggest disadvantage is actually serves us, particularly if we frame it that way. I um, today was looking, I don't know, Jeremy, I don't know if you know this. What do you think is the most expensive oil change? Like there's, can you name the vehicle and what do you think the oh oh um i know this um oh for the life of me i can't remember the name of the vehicle it's an italian car yeah company. bugatti is it correct the bugatti uh yeah. and the oil change it's something like isn't it like fifty thousand dollars or something the one i read is twenty five thousand. okay yeah um but maybe they do have a fifty thousand. i wouldn't be surprised but what's interesting is you know that can be seen as a disadvantage like who would ever do that but what it means is if if you are someone that can purchase that car, that you're among the elite, right? So this is a elite, elitist, if that's the right choice of words, positioning. And the confirmation of that is every time you get an oil change, you're confirming that you're among the very few extremely wealthy people that can afford this, that that's chump change. So what's a disadvantage becomes an advantage for the common person you know, you could buy a new Honda or, or Toyota Corolla for an oil change. Um, but for this community, that means something that, that you can afford that. That's a disadvantage advantage. My, my favorite case, though, was a, maybe you remember this, was a marketing campaign run by Burger King. So Burger King is a distant number two to McDonald's. McDonald's has, I don't know, 100,000 plus restaurants in their franchise and Burger King is, is perhaps one fifth or one tenth the size of McDonald's. But what Burger King did is they leveraged their weaker position or better put the stronger position of McDonald's to their favor. So McDonald's famously says 1 billion served or 2 billion served, whatever they say on their signs to, to really point to their strength or their size. So Burger King ran this campaign where they called it 2 billion swerved. And what they tried to do, and they did effectively, was have people detour from a McDonald's to go to Burger King. What the promise was that they'll give you a Whopper sandwich for a penny or a dollar. Maybe it was a dollar. We'll give you a Whopper sandwich for a dollar. If you go to a McDonald's, you're within 600 feet of McDonald's, and you download the Burger King app, which can identify based upon you know geo-targeting where you are. And if you're within the radius of McDonald's and then you you can activate the promotion only in that radius, and that's when you get a dollar off and you can go to Burger King and pick it up. And so that was their argument. They said, look, always people near McDonald's that are swerving to go to Burger King. They use the fact that McDonald's is such a juggernaut, has so many locations to become their marketing advantage because they were uh, ubiquitous, they were everywhere. The lesson I'm trying to depart with entrepreneurs is our weaknesses are not something to hide. Our weaknesses in some cases can be an extraordinary strength. And particularly when our competition kind of beats us up on that, like, oh, you're whatever they choose to make fun of you about or, or, or to point at your weakness. Now, if you can make that a strength, that 
that marketing they're doing against your weakness, actually they're marketing for you. So that's the intention of this, this section. You, you know, this is so great about Burger King because I don't even know if you're familiar, but they might have a, you know, a small fraction of what McDonald's does, Yeah, but they know that their market really, really well. And so one of the ways that they started growing was on their Twitter account, uh, Burger King started the like sarcastic, um, like comments back to other corporations on Twitter. So like they would be like doing a promotion or something and then Burger King would tweet at them and like make some smart ass remark and people loved it and they're really good at it. Whoever's running uh, the marketing campaign for Burger King, especially doing their Twitter account, it's doing a phenomenal job. Have you seen, have you ever seen some of these? No. Oh, it's hilarious. It's, it's like, so they would make a smart comment referring like referencing McDonald's and then McDonald's started to get, Oh, we're going to get back at them. And then they would make a comment back. And then over the top Burger King would just come back with something that was even better than the first one before. <laughs> like since nobody's going to McDonald's, why don't you come to us anyway? Cause you're not going to have anybody, you know, just like, yeah. like if you don't want to get sick today, come eat with us instead of McDonald's, <laughs> like, you know, and it's like really funny. Yeah. And, uh, and people, started following Burger King because they were doing such a good job with it. And it was just hilarious to like see some of these tweets. You know, the smaller business now, you know, Burger King by any measure is not a small business, but comparatively to their competition, they are, you know, we, uh, as entrepreneurs, we're small compared to our competition. The small guy has an advantage because the big guy pays attention to the small guy and gets into that, you know, dialogue who has a greater customer base, a bigger customer base, McDonald's does by far, maybe not, maybe not on Twitter, they don't have a bigger customer base, but I'd be surprised if they didn't. And so you start winning over this platform. Anytime there's conflict between a, you know, a bigger entity and a smaller entity, the bigger entity is giving up exposure to the smaller entity. It, it just plays out that way. I'm not saying the bigger entity won't win, but they're giving exposure. So all those McDonald's customers are getting further exposure to Burger King. The other thing I think is interesting, and maybe we talked about this uh, at some other point, but uh, conflict can elevate both parties too. Like, I don't know if McDonald's is winning from Burger King's campaigns, but I know um, we talked about Tiger King. I don't know. You were yeah, into that? Yeah. Show? yeah. You saw that. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're actually, we're, we're supposed to, we had to do a, a video on it because we were going to talk about like the business, the business side of it. Yeah. Right. The business side of it. Here's one thing I loved about it uh, from a business aspect. I thought, I thought it was actually a, a train wreck. I mean, I'm sure many people did. Um, but the Joe Exotic character, person, he's a real person, and uh, Carol Baskin, right? Those two, first of all, you and I would have never known of their existence unless they had that conflict. You know, they would have never gotten on television and a documentary made unless you had these two enemies going at it like this. I don't think. Well, so I don't was, think anybody realized the the fact that so many people are interested in keeping tigers as pets. Like, of course, I, yeah. never, I never heard of that before. Me neither. Me neither. And I, I think this all came about because there was enemies. You need the the one side in order to elevate the other side. If they didn't have conflict, there would have been no interest. It made it such a compelling and horrible story, but it made it such a compelling story because there was, there was conflict. You know, what, what Burger King's doing and McDonald's is participating is, is there's conflict that actually elevates attention to both of them. So it's this going back and forth. It wouldn't surprise me that it brings more attention to both parties. Can we as small business owners find conflict? 
And um, it, it doesn't have to be conflict against another company or person. It could be an ideology that we're going against. But when you have that conflict, like listen, the elections, when we're recording this, it's the day before the elections. I, who, I don't know who will win, but I know this. There's been more participation in this election than perhaps in the last hundred years. More people voting because there's great conflict, ideologies and individuals, and that brings attention. So as small business owners, we can do the same. We can bring attention by facilitating conflict. We can bring attention by going against an ideology and we, and we can bring attention by leveraging our disadvantage and making an advantage. Yeah. I, I just pulled up one of these tweets just to read to you. One of the what? <laughs> one, of the, the one of the Burger King tweets. Yeah. Yeah. Read, read it to me. All right. So Chick-fil-A says, per usual, we'll be closed on Super Bowl Sunday. No exceptions. And then Burger King says, don't worry, everyone. We'll still be open per usual. Like, you know what I mean? Like just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, per usual. Yeah. So like they just, and they've done this like McDonald's, man, they're really getting on McDonald's. Some of these, I think we're, we're like taken out of context. So I'm trying to find one. Um, that uh that makes sense but you know it's smart so it's smart so what chick-fil-a is doing is they're supporting their belief structure and, and supporting their fans and burger king is supporting a different fandom it's like you know it's your favorite sporting team or whatever the more i hear about my team's arch enemy the more ingratiated i am with my own team but both get heightened attention you know yeah yeah. And they're even going, they're even going after people. Like somebody tweeted and said, Oh, McDonald's is my favorite burger. And then Burger King tweeted back at them and said, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like just like stupid little, little comments like that. It's yeah. Really, they're engaging it's people. Funny. Not yeah. funny. I mean, they, but that's the, I mean, I guess they're, you know, they're using the platform in a totally different way. And, um, it's what's working for them. And I mean, now other companies are starting to hop on the train there's a bunch. You know, I experienced it. It's funny when when I first started writing Profit First. Not when I first started writing Profit First, that makes no sense. When I wrote Profit First, I was invited um, to speak at some events and stuff, and I was invited then to speak at some CPA conference. They just heard that Profit First was new and it, it talked about profitability, but they didn't understand the concept yet. They, they didn't know what it was, and when they heard that, I I challenged traditional accounting. They said, traditional accounting is totally wrong. Profit does not come last from a behavioral aspect. It has to come first. I got disinvited <laughs> to speak at an event. And um, at first, I think the outside, you know, the people, my contacts, the people I know, we were like, oh my God, it's horrible. It's really going to hurt you. And I'm like, I think this may be the best thing because that's a great story now that traditional accounting doesn't buy into profit first. And we, and we rode that train for quite a while. It still do. That people like, oh, you know, if you're a traditional accountant, you're stodgy, you don't get it, you're going to say profit first doesn't work. It means you're not willing to expand and learn. So it causes conflict. That's more of an ideology type of conflict. But I think it helped fuel exposure for profit first. Yeah. Why is it, do you think, that accountants are so headstrong about advising people to try the method? Is it because that's what they haven't been taught. Like, you know, they have certifications for a completely different thing. So it'll kind of invalidate what? Yeah, that's, that's totally it, right? Yeah. So you, you, you're raised and trained on this. You're told this is the way it is. It's become your Bible. And then you have some guys saying, sorry, your Bible's wrong. Like <laughs> who would ever accept that? <laughs> yeah. No. So, so people are like, this guy is insane. He's a maverick. He's crazy. Now, conversely, it starts a whole new religion. If I can play this analogy a little bit further, but start a whole new religion. So there's a faction of people say, oh my gosh, this is 
this is the right way to do it. And now it causes conflict. So probably first used to be me barking about how it can be of service, but now there's other accountants and bookkeepers who, who are barking at the stodgy traditional ones saying, you're totally wrong. It's caused that conflict. They've become champions for it. So the exposure prop first has today is far greater than it was uh, just five years ago. And it's not, it's not like this linear growth, it's this exponential growth curve. It's, the discussion is happening all the time. Um, it, it's almost like a right versus wrong thing. It's a left versus right. It's Democrats versus Republicans. It's, it's, uh, it's Joe Exotic versus Carol Baskin to some degree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Whose side were you on in that? It, Carol Baskin. Were you really? Yeah. I mean, she was, a, uh, she's eccentric. I mean, and weird. And I, and I don't know the manipulative thing, um, but the, the Joe exotic, my gosh. His, you I, know what he did though? He created this character. Like if you, if you got me as high as I could ever possibly be, gave me a piece of paper and said, I want you to create the most crazy, insane <laughs> character you can create. I would never, ever be able to create that character. So like how you know what I mean like how he did that was was genius. It was crazy, but but I I can only assume narcissistic, he, he manipulative, manipulative. I mean, he, he ultimately there's that one uh, person that committed suicide on his watch. Um, he was using drugs and stuff like that to to persuade people. Uh, did, I don't know if you saw that song he had like oh, yeah. I'm a t- tiger man <laughs> or something like yeah. he. He was, he was so full of himself. Now the Carol Baskin character seemed like she was doing this out of empathy, but I think she may have be just as narcissistic. You just can't tell. Yeah, you can't. And, and the way they package these shows too, like you don't know the reality. Like they only show you what they want you. To, it's storytelling. It's a form of storytelling. So they show you what they want you to see. Yeah. Um, but what, what I really admired about that show was these two people clearly had a hatred for each other. Um, and it's in some ways it served both of them significantly. They it both elevated them to a degree of notoriety and exposure. They wouldn't get, we all want an enemy who wants to go to a football game where your team just marches around and they're not playing anybody like that's boring. No, you want the enemy. Um, you, you want the opponent there yeah. because that elevates a great game and you want to be cheering on your team and booing the others. It's just, it's just how the human genome yeah. is wired, I guess. I, I I do want to say this because because like you brought up the election you know not getting into politics but I think one positive thing that that I can say and I've dug into a lot of this stuff like because of the, you know the podcast or you know all the stuff we're cultivating and things like that I think the media is doing the country a disservice and if there's I think we're more unified than people think and I oh, think that, yeah, that yeah, the yeah. majority of us are all on the same page like we all want the same things. And I think the media uses it as an opportunity to just rip it apart for ratings. And it, it's, it's rip, rip it for ratings. Yeah, yeah. I agree a hundred percent. So what was interesting, uh, I was listening to a podcast. I think it's called stuff you should know. I'm not hundred percent sure though, but I believe it was on that podcast that they were sharing details. I think this happened prior to Barack Obama being president was that there, there was a, um, requirement for media outlets to provide simply factual information that, that there were some guidelines. And then that was released in that 
um, these media outlets were now allowed to give opinion and bias that so it was prohibited at a certain point, which then built the two factions, you know, the, the stations that support Republicans and the stations that support Democrats. And it, it causes two factions. So now it's extreme media. And I trust none of it. So I think the, the, maybe the unintended consequence, the, the, the benefit of course, is these stations now um, they can become as salacious as they want. They can say the stories they want therefore increasing ratings for people to still pay attention. But I wonder if people are not paying attention anymore. Like, I, I don't trust the news whatsoever, the U.S. news. So if I want to check out the news, I'm literally on the BBC. That's the only thing I pay attention to. Say, news from England? Yeah, so, uh, yeah and, but, but here's what's crazy, though. Even they're still doing the same manipulation tactics over there because they still have people who agree with the right for and sure. people who agree with the left. So my, my cousin's husband is from Italy. He was born and raised in Italy. Yeah. Came to the United States. They ended up getting married. So now he's, you know, becoming a U.S. citizen. So he and I were talking about politics, and he has some of the complete opposite ideas that I have. Well, what was interesting was I said, if you were to give me a percentage of, you know, what what percentage would you say that the media is telling the truth? And he goes, you know, 90%. It's like, are you crazy? 90, yeah. you're, you, they're telling the truth 90% of the time? I was like, absolutely not. I said, let's say my name's Jeff, right? And um, I'm, I'm the media, okay? And for every minute that I get you involved in a conversation, uh, somebody puts $5 in my pocket, right? right? <laughs> like, are you going to believe what I'm telling you? Like, right. no, you're not. And I was trying to get him to understand it's way, way lower than that. Like, and I think you're right. It used to be, we're going to present the facts. I mean, that's what journalism is. We give people the facts. Yeah. They make up their own minds. Right. And then it all of a sudden became, well, our ratings get higher if we, you know, do this, do this. And then a little bit of lies here, a little bit of lies here. And now it's at the point where I fact check stuff where I'm like, how are they getting away with this? Like, that oh, it's, is it's completely absurd. It's wrong. Absurd. Yeah. It's absurd. I, uh, for a while I was doing, um, I was on that show with Donnie Deutsch. Uh, you were on that show, The Big Idea. <laughs> yeah. And then it turned into this other show called Money Talks or something. So I was invited out to do it. I became friends with the producer. And um, I remember I was coming in one day to do like a little segment on something. And uh, just when I was pulling in, I went to the news studio. He's like, oh, we're cutting your segment today. He's like, some news broke. I was, and that's the nature of this business. But I was now privy to the back room. And there's that saying, if it bleeds, it leads. Is unbelievable how curated that news is. They're sitting in the back saying, that's more salacious. That will get more eyeballs to your exact point. And they are turning on, they're, they're posting on the news. What will keep eyeballs going? Yeah. The shock value. You even, dude, they even do with weather like, Oh, the cyclone bomb of 2020, you know, these things to keep your eyeballs there. What my conclusion is this, if it's on the news, it does not represent the norm because the normal is very boring. So to say, Oh, another good day in the neighborhood. Everyone's fine. Boring. No, we need murders and heads lopped off and we need cyclone bombs yeah. to keep our attention. It's a shame. And, you know, I don't think people realize to the degree that this is, I mean, now, so it went from them, like maybe like just lying about a couple things, stretching the truth or whatever, you know, and to now it's just blatant censoring of, of news. Like they're, they're censoring what they want to show and what they don't want to show, which is crazy because, you know, now they're, they're controlling the narrative on, on, you know, whatever opinions that they have. Um, and it's, it's the last 10 years have been really bad because now that, you know, the, it used to be, they made their money from print. 
And then with the internet, that went away. And now they're competing with, I mean, now there's like, you know, thousands of media outlets online that they're competing with. Just regular people who start a podcast who do really well. They're talking about the news. Now the mainstream news is competing with them. So cable news, they might be getting like 2.9 million viewers, you know, per week or whatever. And someone online is getting that in a day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and so like to compete with that, they have to like come up with these clickbaity titles and these headlines that are just obnoxious. And you dive into it and you're like, this is not at all what it is. You know, like I, like yeah. I read five other sources that said, you know, this number, the opposite. And, you know, it's just, and it's really sad. It's really a shame because I feel like from talking to people, we really, everybody who lives in the U S really cares about what happens and we want the best and we want all good things for, for everybody, the majority. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the media will not show it that way. No, and, they want and that they've just created this huge divisiveness, right? Cause divisiveness and division brings attention. Yeah. You know, what's interesting though, in regards to the news is there is an opportunity for small business owners and uh, it's, it's when you pitch, you can get yourself on the news by pitching newsworthy stories. So there's an example. It's, it's actually playing out right now as we're recording this. There is a barbershop in Sacramento, California. Uh, the guy, his name is Jason Iverson, who owns it. And uh, he, he, his business is, is struggling to get clients in because of the COVID situation. Well, what he realized that the clients that still come to him appreciate how he's um, just being very careful. He uses like hospital grade cleaning agents and stuff like that. He's really concerned about it. He has, he takes care of his mother and his mother's highly susceptible to COVID. So he's just being very careful. Well, what he's doing now, he's pitching the news is uh, in California, this, they're now allowing legislatively, uh, the legislators are allowing barber shops to do facial haircuts. So if you have a beard or something, they can trim your face, but they have to comply with certain standards. So he's going to do it, but he's, he's going to the extreme. He's like, he's literally getting a hazmat costume uh, or uniform, legitimate, a legit one gloves and the whole thing to do it. And he's reached out to the news saying, Hey, see how, what is required of us to comply with COVID requirements. So it's, it, in point, it's true and factual to what is required of them. It also makes fun of the situation to the extreme it's going to, but it's newsworthy. That becomes a newsworthy story. Uh, barber in hazmat, uh, only way he can run his business as opposed to barber gives another cut today. Yeah. So we can leverage the news to gain exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we, we had dinner on our um, work retreat, right? And then yeah. you and I were getting so fired up by some of the, like the little things like that we didn't understand. Like, why, why are they doing this? I come from a restaurant background and with COVID, I get, you know, certain things, but what they were doing. Oh, well, like, when we were after that, yeah, the last yeah, night, yeah. And Kelsey was like, you two are getting so fired up. I was like, oh, I was like this, this annoys me. Like, you know, instead of, okay, we have an option, give paper menus, throw them away or laminate them. And wipe them down. And wipe them down, baby. You know? Yeah. And then, the you know, the giving of the plastic fork packets instead of, like, the regular silverware. Like, oh, we can wash the plates, but the silverware. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. yeah, silverware, you yeah. can't do it. Yeah, yeah, you know. That's genius, though. I, I think that's really awesome. If, if there was a guy who dressed up in, like, a Breaking Bad hazmat, like, meth suit and was like, hey, I'm going to cut your hair. I'm like, yeah, if I had hair to cut, I'm going to that guy, you know? 
Well, yeah. And here's the thing. I think some people will go and some people will be outraged and say, I'll never go, but that's what you want. Then it causes that conflict, that polarization. So Jason was telling me, oh, there's another barbershop 50 miles away from where he is. That's packed. How the conversation happened. I said, is there any barber doing well? He's like, oh yeah, there's one guy. I said, why? He says, because he's retaliating against the masks. He, he doesn't mandate that people wear masks. And he's already been brought in by the uh, officials and the government and he's been fined, but he's like, you know, him, it's a freedom of speech or whatever, however he's positioning it. But the place is packed because there's a certain community that says he gets me. Um, so Jason, what's true to him is he cares about this COVID situation and he thinks people should be very careful, but he's taking it to the other extreme, which will again, polarize people. And some people will say he's ludicrous and crazy, but some will say, you know what? He's taking to extreme that gets noticed and they'll appreciate him. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the politicians have done, I mean, we, Murphy, we live in New Jersey, has done some yeah. crazy st stuff in the state. Uh, yeah. Wolf in Pennsylvania has done some some crazy stuff. And it's, you know, to me, it it sucks because I think they're using it as, you know, obviously a political poker chip instead of, yep. you know, doing what what really they would think would be suitable and appeasing to everybody. They think, yeah. oh, well, this is who supports me. So we're going to hit this hard, you know? Yeah, I'm I feel like I'm speaking on two corners of my mouth because I agree in politics, that's a poker chip. But in business, it's an advertising technique, which yeah. I guess is a poker chip. But I think, you know, we can leverage that to gain exposure for ourselves. I feel like I'm talking about both sides of my mouth because politicians, should they really leverage that? Isn't the politician for the better good of humanity? But they're humans too. And they they do what, what others do. Yeah, that, that is a, that's a cool idea though. And there's been other businesses who have, have really tried to um, adapt to the, to the situation. And, you know, it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's hard. It's a tough situation for, for a lot of people out there. I just did the photo shoot this uh, weekend with Matt. He came up geared up and ready to go, you know, COVID ready. And we did the shots. One thing uh, I'll send you on the pictures is we already did the post COVID shot. So we have this, these funny shots with masks and, and, and the lack of using masks, but uh, so we're, we're prepared for when that moment breaks. Yeah. You know, that's another thing to do is to be timely. So when things change, um, the first mover advantage, the first one to market into it or lean into the change is the winner. You know, Burger King, I think is winning because that Chick-fil-A you know, says we're closed Sunday and they respond immediately. Could you imagine like five months from now they come and say, Oh, you're closed on Sundays. We're open. Yeah. It's too late that timely marketing is so important. So yeah, I think you'll love some of these pictures I'm sending your way. Oh yeah. I can't wait. Tomorrow. I can't wait to see these. Did you already, yeah. did you already get them all approved for the ones that you want? And then I have, I haven't. So he took all the pictures yesterday, which was Sunday. He, uh, he said, get them to me by Tuesday tomorrow. And I'll forward them over to you. Oh, I awesome. mean, he took over, th uh, over 500 photos. Um, and I think we did 15 different outfits and stuff. And then each pose we did, you know, 20, 30 poses, maybe 40 poses per outfit. Um, and then we also have some, some props that we used. So I, I, maybe I'll send them all to you uh, just in a big batch or, or I'll at least clean out. He'll clean out some of the crappy ones and I'll get you a batch of photos. Yeah. You take a crappy photo, get out of Me, here. Me, my college. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, I think people are really loving the beard. I think, yeah, I think you people the beard's like, winning. Huh? I think the beard won. I think, uh, you know, out of the, out of the two options, I, we did a post a, a long while back. Uh, oh, that's why we did beard, survey. no beard, and beard was the winner. It looks good on no, you. It looks good. Thank, thanks, man. Yeah. I, I, I never in my in life anticipated having a beard, and then uh, I just saw some pictures of me 
just from a year or two ago pre-beard I look alien to myself. I'm <laughs> like, that, who the yeah, hell is that's, that? That's hilarious. My my father has. I can't grow a beard to save my life. I so I can grow like really well. Okay. You have a beard right now. Well, yeah, but or at least get scruff, not the mustache. So the, the mustache, mustache never comes in and never connects. And plus, I have blonde hair, so it, like half my beard. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but my dad has a really heavy dark beard, and from the time I was born until the time I was maybe like six years old, he never had anything but a full beard and I came home from school and he shaved his beard and I looked at him and I started crying because it was such a shock to see this. Who is this person? Like, I don't know what is going on. Yeah. I mean, when you don't know anything else and then all of a sudden that happens, it it was a, it was a big change. My, my, our family is reversed. So my dad, when we go on summer vacation, it's interesting how much your impact your parents have on you, right? Because you remember things like this. So we go on vacation. My dad would grow a mustache um, on vacation. And he was, our whole family, we go on these two weeks, would be ragging him by the end. He's got this little, you know, caterpillar under his nose. He, he'd return home and he'd shave it off and no one would notice. Yeah. <laughs> because it was just a short period of, of beardness, you know, or, or facial hair and then it was gone. <laughs> And he's like, you guys were complaining. It's gone. You don't say anything. It's like, oh, we didn't, didn't <laughs> even know. There's a guy I used to work with. Um, I, I, I'll never forget this. So I, I grew a beard in and I came into work and he was like, Ugh. he's like, Jerry, he's like, I hate to tell you this. He's like, I know you've been growing that beard for a long time. He goes, but I think you look better without it. Like you're a handsome guy. Like you should shave the beard off. And I, I got home and I was like, oh man, really? Ugh, all right, fine. I'll shave it off. Right. Come in the next day. And then one of the girls that I worked with came up to me and she like, she like felt my face cause it was completely bare. She was like, yeah. why'd you shave your beard? She's like, I like the beard. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on here? Can somebody just be honest? Yeah, who's telling the truth? I don't know what to believe anymore. You know, I wonder who's the ultimate determinant of that. I guess you could run a split test. Like when it comes to marketing, like, is it better the way I look one way or the other? I find well, at least for me that my wife is very honest in presentation and like what looks good and not. Um, and I think some other people, yeah, it's interesting. I have one person who's like, that beard is horrible. It's, it's the worst thing. It's so gross, but I don't value that person's feedback <laughs> in regards to presentation just because of how they present themselves. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Let me I value you. them in other ways. They're great. They're a great friend, but I'm like, mm, I don't know if I trust that. So when we were, when you uh, told me about the photo shoot and I was like, okay, let's think of some like, you know, ideas for like yeah. fun poses and stuff. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, all right, how would I rate Mike's personal attire, like wardrobe style? Meaning like, like, would I say that you, you think that you have good style for a guy, like in terms yeah. of, you know, putting outfits together and stuff like that? Or does Krista have a lot of involvement? And I, I'm guessing, I, I feel like Krista had a lot of involvement. Now, is that the truth yeah. or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. She's definitely improved my style. And then, um, you know, here's the big discovery. Because I'm, I'm a lanky guy. Um, and in particularly in high school and, and in high school in particular, I was a super lanky, like a scarecrow. And I, I wonder if a lot of skinny guys and lanky guys have this. Like, I thought... The, the bigger the, the clothing, the more it fill me out. Um, so I, I, when I got a jacket, I'd want a sports coat that was a little bit bigger. And now I have these shoulder pads sticking out. I was like an effing scarecrow. I've come to realize that on anyone, thin 
Well, I actually take it back. If someone's obese, it's probably not. But fitting, just fitting clothing, like clothing that yeah, fits. Fitted, clo fitted yeah. clothing works well. I'm not saying like super tight clothing, but fitted clothing for almost everyone works really well. And it just, and, and the way we dress is important. Like that is highly persuasive. Yeah. If you see someone that's like disheveled and you get that little oof, um, it, it influences you what you think of them. Yeah. You see someone that's put together, we'll give them leeway if they're not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> what, it's funny how, um, at least the women in, in my life have influenced how I dress. I mean, to a pretty high degree, I would say. Mm. Um, and I don't think most guys really think about it too much because, and we're, we don't really get a lot of, in, at least I think traditionally we don't get a lot of input from our fathers on wardrobe and how to dress where yeah. I would say women get more of that probably from their mothers than men get. What was more the, the number one like tip you ever got from your dad on a grooming or a tire? Did you have a, and what's your number one tip from your mom? Do you have, do you have a, my dad, my dad's like the classic, like hard ass, he didn't really give me any tips. Like we yeah. didn't, you know, like his tip, you know, <laughs> like, like, don't do bands. Cool. I'm going to kick your ass. Like, okay. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, that yeah, was his yeah. tip. Like, okay, sure. Um, but my, yeah, but my mom was always like, Oh, let's put your report card on the fridge, you know, and all that stuff. So my, my I'm from thinking from grooming to, so my mother, it was well, not a tire really cleanliness. So my mother's German. It was very much like you have to be clean at all times, clean behind your ears type thing. Like literally as a kid, I remember my mom with a rag clean behind my ears. My father, I remember his grooming tip. I, my hair was kind of all over the place and, um, I wanted to kind of slick it back. I was really into Gordon Gecko. This is back in the college days. Like uh, one day I'm going to be a rich finance sewer. My father's like Brill Cream. You need Brill Cream. Brill Cream is a thing from like the 1930s. This this it's basically grease that you put for gears. You just slick it in your hair. It was so gross. <laughs> so I discovered Brill Cream for I my thought, dad. I, I wonder thought, if they still sell it. I thought Brill Cream. I could be wrong, and if I am, I apologize. But I thought it was something to do with circumcision. <laughs> does it? I, I swear. No. I thought it, I thought it did. No, maybe it does. No. Oh, it still exists. B r y l c r e e m. Shining, styling, and conditioning hair cream, bro cream. But dude, the, you can't see the box. But on Amazon, the box still looks like it's from like 1970 or 1950. It's so. It's yeah, for a brilliantly classic look. That's bro cream. Well, but so the point the point I was getting to is um, the the women in my life have influenced my my dress. Yeah, and one one girl that I was with, she was very very good at putting outfits together. I mean, you know, the, the design and and like she just knew all the fashion styles and everything. So one of my friends was getting married, and I was in the the wedding party, and yeah. uh, I said, you know, we're doing suits, and he's like, no, he's like, just go get a pair of khakis. He's like, here's the color shirt you asked for. Here's a tie. You know, that's it. Easy. Right. I was like, cool. How can you mess that up? Yeah. So I go to the store and my first choice, she's like, do you want flats or pleated? And I was like, Ooh, let's go with the pleated. Right. Thinking yeah. I'm thinking I'm making a good choice. And I get home and she comes home from work. She's like, Oh, let me check out your pants. And I put them on and she goes, what the hell is that? And I was, like, I was like, what are you talking about? She's like the pleats. Why did you get pleats? I'm like, I don't know. No. Aren't they, aren't they fancier? Like, isn't that like more like a gourmet style? She's like, no. 
She's like, immediately go and get flat front khakis. <laughs> like, oh, I never want to see those ever again. And I'm like, so I didn't funny. know. Like, is I, you know, I think a lot of guys just don't know fashion, you know? No, and, and fashion changes. You got to refer oh, to. Oh, yeah. It's all changed so quick. It's, it's out of control. Experts. That's all funny. right, bro. I think we covered all the topics from fashion to politics <laughs> to Joe Exotic yeah. back to Burger McDonald's. We, we better wrap it up for the day. All right, cool. So, uh, hey, guys, if you enjoyed this insider access that Jeremy and I do, we want to hear it from you. Please email me at askmike at mikemichalowitz.com. Tell us what you think, but send us a question. What, what do you want to hear Jeremy and me exploring and talking about? Or what do you want to hear when we interview someone? Or who do you want us to interview? So again, send an email to askmike at mikemichalowitz.com. And please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Give us a rating and a review. Just be honest. That's all we ask for. But do subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We'll see you later.